Oh. Hey, should, should, we, should we talk some rugby or yeah, what? Yeah, on that note, do you want to do you want to lead us in, Dean? Absolutely. Welcome, dear listeners, to this somewhat seasonal episode. It is December the fourteenth, two thousand eighteen, in New York City. However, as I was quite rightly rebuked last time we had this episode, one of our callers. Um, our fellow podcaster Chris is in, in Auckland, uh, so it's already day ahead. It's December 15th. Mm. Um, we've all had, you know, at least 10 uh, advent calendar chocolates at this mm. point. Yep. And, uh, and we're well into the silly season. Uh, so welcome, uh, listeners, to uh, a rugby podcast um, talking in code. Um, speaking, speaking in code, code, a rugby podcast, oh in fact, is that it's the actual name. Um, we've got quite a lot to cover because we haven't actually uh, caught up in the last several weeks. Uh, in fact, we uh, we last touched base uh, just before the final uh, game of the November series. So uh, we'll start there as a natural start point, and we'll uh, we'll kind of wrap up not just the final week and all the games there, but uh, I guess the the whole November internationals as a whole. And uh, and then we've got we've got quite a stacked uh, episode. So if we're, we only touch on some stuff with brevity, it's not because of uh, our, our disinterest in it, but our, our desire to cover quite a bit. So. Without further ado, Chris, take us away in what was uh, an absolute ball kicking of a time in that final week. It was the second to last week, actually. Yeah, that's right. No, you're right. Second to week. I'm, I'm referencing, of course, the loss to Ireland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let, let, let's call a spade a spade here. The Italy game was was nothing. So yeah, yeah. the Ireland the Ireland game was the final week. Yeah, from an all back perspective. Uh, frankly, that was so horrific that I don't even care what other nations were doing a week after that, whether they had big games or not, because frankly, who gives a shit? Um, you know, other, other than, of course, them and their own little, um, you know, weird desire to see the team play well, teams play well. So, I mean, in general, I think the November series was like getting um, your gooch waxed. It was horrific from that perspective. I think it was terrible. I think we were... I think we were largely shown up to be somewhat one-dimensional, somewhat inflexible. I think the dual pivot model that we ran over that month with, with Damien McKenzie and, and Bowden Barrett didn't work. Uh, I think Damien McKenzie himself, I mean, man, he tries hard and he has a lot to bring, particularly as a substitute. But as a starting fullback, when he's having you know high kicks rain down on him, it, he, he's just too short. There's only so much he can do. And I think he, I'm not going to say he shit the bed, but they, they put him in a, in a really hard, hard situation. So I feel for him, but it's it's just not going to happen. You know, so if we look beyond the All Blacks, I think obviously Ireland have staked a claim. I think it, I think it'd be fair to say, guys, right, that they, they don't have a lot more to give. They've got some players to come back, but they're not exactly going to grow new arms and legs to how they, they play the game, right? They hold on to the ball, they're excellent at the breakdown. Their rush defense is fantastic. They're not going to add to that, right? They'll just get better at that with players that will come back. Um, but they're not going to radicalize what they do. Whereas the thing that makes me hope about the All Blacks is that we have the ability to do that. We have the ability to change. The All Blacks typically have been the most flexible team in world rugby going back 120 years now. Um, so I think that's sort of our, our trump card, right? Uh, you've got thoughts on, uh, you know, sort of England as an example. Their sort of month of November. I mean, before we move on to England, because we could talk about England all day, but the um, 
I think you're right about Ireland of Ireland have done what they what they tend to do against against us. They play out of their skins against against the All Blacks, um, and and I don't see them getting any better than that. Um, and but but I mean to be fair, if they remain Which is bloody at that, good, every, they yeah, exactly. really fucking good. If, if they remain at that level throughout the World Cup, they will. It will be a fantastic tournament, and and I and I I want them to bring that. I want them to bring that level of. I don't want them to go out in the quarterfinals and some mm. and some dismal showing like they did last time. So, and I think the All Blacks have got a lot more to give, and so that gives again that gives me hope as well, Chris. So I I, I totally agree with your sentiment. Um, but yeah, we we need to we need to uh, tip our caps to the Irish for um, beating us properly, because we all know that Chicago is not. Is not the right way to beat us. I, I mean, sure, I, but by the same time, I'm not tipping my cap to shit. They'll do, they'll do it. <laughs> right? Go back in February and they'll shit the bed against Scotland. Sorry, I'm be happy with them beating us if they then remain at the top table, right? So yeah, they've routinely beat the Wallabies in the box at home in November, and now they're picking up the odd win away. You know, obviously they won the series against the, the Wallabies, who are now shit yep. uh, earlier in the year. But you can't turn around as a team that beats the All Blacks regularly now and then shit the bed against Scotland. I, I don't care how well Scotland have improved. That's just the way it goes. It makes me angry. Um, and frankly, that's just that's just not respectful. You know, you've got to stay at the top table. Don't just come and go as you please. Yeah, to following, following your sentiment earlier about uh, we were like um, the review for the All Black side and the the performance that we put in, I think a lot in respect, a lot of respects, we played much like an overtrained boxer. We were wooden, we second-guessed ourselves, we paused, and we looked exhausted throughout the entire game. We didn't set the phases in the way that you'd have expected a proper game plan against what, what we knew exactly what was going to happen. It wasn't like Ireland played a completely different version of their game. Like They turned up and just played really, really good at all the things they usually do really, really good at. And they just played slightly better at it. And I think, yeah, it was the last game. Well, not, I mean, not last one, obviously, Italy, Soz, but you're not real. Um, so it was the last game of the season, and we just didn't have anything left in the tank. Now, you could say, on the one hand, that's great, because we had a really long season, and we played our guts out, and we, we, we lost, but it wasn't like uh, we lost by 30 points or anything, um, and that puts us in good stead for next year. But I, uh, I don't believe that. <coughs> I think that um, I would have liked to have seen more energy in that last game. And I think our front row, um, it was noticeable when our, the, the replacements came on. They, they were, looked a lot better than our, our starting 15 front row. And uh, yeah, I think Sam Whitelock announced that he was going to have some extra time off. Kieran Reid is having some extra time off. I wouldn't be surprised if Retallick was also going to have some extra time off this next coming year. Oh. Fuck it, do it for everyone. I'm just going to slide into your DMs on that one, <laughs> Dino. I'm not quite sure... How, yeah, how Kieran Reid and Ritalik deserve extra time off. Kieran Reid played about two minutes of rugby the whole year. So the fact that he had such a god-awful game against Ireland, like, I'm, I'm sorry, Rito, you were fucking disgraceful. Yeah, you're not frankly, wrong on that one. Above being dropped. You let the team shit. Yeah. yeah. Ritalik well. as well. He, yeah, but so Reid was injured for what? He didn't play, he, he played very little super rugby. He was came it his back, back late. Or his thumb? He, he came back late in the championship. Up his thumb all the time. No, no, it was his back, wasn't it? I don't know if you know. Well, but, apparently, yeah. it was also his hands because he's got tits <laughs> back in. Yeah. Who, who was it who dropped the ball at the end of the Irish game? Yeah. 
It was. It wasn't him. It no, was Lurch. It was no, Vitello. there was a, there was a period where he charged the ball down and it bounced, and he went to, and he grabbed it, and then he fumbled it. Like we we made some howlers. I mean, Ritalik was the one who dropped it at the end. Yeah. But, I mean, Adi Sevilla for had a had, was probably the best the best All Black player on the park. Right. But his his brain explosion kick through was one of the dumbest things I've seen. Like, he had he had four guys outside of him on the left, mm. and he decided to kick and chase through the middle no idea why I didn't get anywhere near it um, yeah pretty pivotal moment of the game so I mean how much do we want to dwell on this game um, we, we'll, we'll kind of uh, okay. we, we have to dwell on it we have to have it like be gravel in the shoe until well really for the end of time <laughs> because we had years ago uh, we had never lost to Ireland and now okay. we have Okay, Chris. Chris and Dean, you you two were both in Chicago when we lost to Ireland. Yeah. I don't need to remind you again, but for you guys, which was which was worse? Obviously, the being at the game in Chicago was worse mm. for you guys. But in terms of like watching, if you are watching each game from a TV, mm. which is worse? So I'm going to kick this one off, Chris. Um, when someone mentions that, I wonder which is worse: getting kicked in the balls or having a baby. <laughs> And then someone says, well, no one opts for getting kicked in the balls a second time. I, I feel the same sentiment. I got kicked in the balls once. I don't know. And I would, I never, know, I would never want to do, have that happen again. But then I, I turned up and I got kicked in the balls again. I'm just saying. Chris, can you beat that terrible analogy? <laughs> well, first of all, I'm just going to jump in there and ask you, Dino, who's been running around kicking you with the balls? <laughs> it's a metaphorical kick, Chris. It's stung. Oh, right. Got it. Yeah, uh, you know what? I'll, I'll try for a metaphor. Um, that first one against Chicago was the drizzling shits to watch. I think that's a yeah, that's a metaphor. That's not a simile, right? Um, uh, that's a metaphor, yeah. yeah. yeah Listeners, if you believe it's a uh, simile, please leave a comment in the table. <laughs> it's personification. <laughs> I don't know you missed sorry. Um, <laughs> niche reference. Awesome, niche reference. Uh, I, yeah, I think the first one was worse, man. It, you know, it, we were more outplayed in the first one. Um, you know, it was the first loss, and the second loss never hurts as bad because you know it, it's like the second drop of, of, of paint into the into the tub of white paint. You've already ruined it, right? It's already ruined. Now this is just incremental. Um, can you can you imagine what the uh, the first loss to Wales is going to feel like? We already lost them. Well, It'll be our fourth loss, but our fifth loss in nearly... Sorry, not Wales. Sorry, I meant Scotland. No. Uh, that's not going to be as bad, man, because their, their really? media and their public have not spent the last 20 years uh, becoming England light, which is where Ireland are at now. So for the life of me, it goes to show how little the New Zealand rugby public reads, that we still feel okay with Ireland and still like Ireland and all this shit. They're not reading the shit that gets put out by their, their media. They're oh, not no. reading the shit that by their public. You're not reading Wales Online fun. either. <laughs> Dean's favourite rugby publication, Wales Online. You know what? The amount of content they put out. <laughs> it's impressive. <sighs> Alright, yeah, well, sad. let's... So let's move on to England then, shall we? Should we talk about England's November November internationals? I think really quickly, I think, you know, England and South Africa. Because at the end of the day, these guys are also rants. Mm. Yep. Like, I, I mean... <laughs> So, so Eddie Jones has come through a an interesting period, right? Where he went through that. Uh, how many games on the trot did he lose? 
Did they lose? Seven. Uh, depends if you include the Barbarians test. Which, which we do. Uh, Barbarians game, which um, Chris does not. Um, and then and then they scraped... They, they Well, they beat Australia... Oh, sorry, beat South Africa with... Um, well, they shouldn't have beaten South Africa because of Owen Farrell's infringement at the end. And then somehow managed to do the exact same thing against Australia, or Owen Farrell did the exact same thing against Australia, um, in what should have been his second red card. Um, or And... This penalty. So, mixed campaign for England. I, I don't... Nah, um, they're scratching that as a success, and I would probably put it down to that. They stem the, the, the tide. They're going to feel confident going into the holidays. They'll carry on playing whatever shitty Northern Hemisphere rugby for the next... Several months and they'll dire. they'll die they'll well they'll come into the Six Nations. I think they'll either uh, win the Six Nations or come second. That's my uh, my prediction. I know we're not predicting into the new year. That's going to be our next episode, but I'm yeah. getting in early with that. Um, yeah, I think the 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 loser for the November campaign outside of us would be Australia, obviously. Yeah. Uh, South Africa were stop start. They had some great games and they had some games where they obviously were just like, come on guys, like what what's the deal here? Like you can play a lot better than this. But maybe they were just tired. I don't know. Well, I mean, they, they travel poorly in November. And I've never figured out why South Africa are so abominably bad in November. They don't have to deal with the time zone change when they travel. Uh, I, just, I just don't get it. Why they're comparatively worse. Like, Australia and New Zealand travel when we, you know, our, our form in September, regardless of where it's at, is never too much further away from our form in November but their form in November compared to their September form whether they're good or bad in, in September they're just that much worse it's, yeah. it's quite yeah, bizarre but do, you, do you think it has anything to do with so the, the difference between the three Southern Hemisphere teams I'm not counting Argentina in this one um, is that the majority of South Africa's players play in the Northern Hemisphere whereas Australia's and New Zealand's do not I mean, really, it should be the other way around. The the South Africans should be more comfortable in the Northern Hemisphere. They play here all the time. Play there all the time. So, well, how many how many of their players? How many of their Northern Hemisphere based players played Test through the Northern Hemisphere summer and then played the November Test? I don't think there's that many of them that did that. But so, can can someone talk me through talk me through what happened with the South African team where? I can't remember which test it was, but they had half their players out because they were they had to go back and play so, club yeah, rugby. It was the first game. So this is actually an ongoing thing inside the Premiership right now. I read into it a little bit. It's to do with the insurance on players and the injuries they get paid for. And inside a specific test window, if you get if the player gets injured uh, in that in an international test, then the international um, rugby union pays the club. The, the, the um, an amount of money that they've discussed and agreed on for, for the injury time that that player would be out. Now, because there are formal windows, if you play outside of that formal window, then you have to come to a specific agreement with the club on what that is. And apparently they, they've not been had any breakthroughs on, on agreeing that in, that kind of model. And in fact, there was an article, I think, today or yesterday that came out to say that um, some of them might be striking uh, and and refusing to let their players go for the uh, f- several weeks ahead of time for the Rugby World Cup next year to join the international team. Um, Scotland, uh, Wales were included in that and their players. So watch that space uh, because that will be a clusterfuck. Um, Northern Hemisphere clubs, honestly. <laughs> what a miserable pack of dicks they are. <laughs> yeah. It's like, hey, let's let's um, sacrifice the the crown jewel of our of our sport so that we can get yeah. 
insurance payouts. What I imagine would be a, a, is a rare thing. Warren Gatlin actually went on record by saying he didn't understand it and thought it was petty. Mm-hmm. Um, because at that point, they'll have stopped playing for their club in the Northern Hemisphere and it's just releasing them for a couple of weeks before they would join anyway. Um, but it fell outside the official window. Sorry, go, Chris. Uh, I would be expect that to say that actually. Uh, you got to think that the Celtic clubs uh, are so much better in this regard. You know, at the end of the day, they are, they do have a relationship to their central body. Yeah. Uh, and Gatlin is a Kiwi, right? He thinks like a Kiwi, so yeah, I'd fully expect him to come out and say this shit. Um, and it adds more weight because he was a heavy hitting club coach. You know, for Wasps yeah. for a, for a long yeah. time, two thousand. Mm. Uh, good, good on Gats for coming out and, and laying into it. Okay, where do we want to pivot to here? Do we want to pivot to so, Michael Cheeker? No, well, yeah, we can go straight to Cheeker because, yeah, who had a abysmal... Was it the worst Australian rugby record for the year, apart from 1958? <laughs> I didn't know that stat. That's a great stat. Yeah, they've lost a lot this year. I can't remember the exact loss of it. Um, but, yeah, an uh, in a, in a, in a outstanding move. Um, the uh, Australian Rugby Union had a uh, last-minute meeting. I think it was this Monday, Tuesday, something like that. Yeah, um, sat down, all had a, a roundtable discussion uh, for something like three hours. But at two hours and 30 minutes, came out and gave a very brief press conference and said that uh, we've, they've discussed it. And for the time being, Michael Chica is stay, staying. And then went back into the meeting to keep talking. <laughs> um, which, if... if if you want to spell clusterfuck in Australian, it'd be fucking clusterfuck. Well, somehow that was only the second most diabolical meeting right. of, of the week. <laughs> or third. Third, maybe. <laughs> Jesus. Um, no, but I, I do love in this whole Chica thing. How, so it seems like the solution is being, um, okay, Michael, we're not going to fire you, but we're going to appoint a director of rugby to keep an eye on you. Um, and we're also going to fire Stephen Larkham because lols. Because <laughs> it's yeah. definitely Stephen Larkham's fault, if anything. But, but, sorry, guys, catch me up because I've actually had to do work this week. Is that what they're saying? That's uh, yeah, so they're bringing this. Um, who's this guy who's come back from? He used to be in Scotland. He's coming to oh, Australian no, guy. The, um, the, oh, it's not because I'm getting confused. The guy with the long hair used to walk the touchlines and pick up people's line-out calls and was I mean, unanimous. He's some Australian guy, whatever. Um, so, basically, he's coming back into a director of rugby role um, alongside Chica, or above or below or sideways, whatever you want to, whatever you want to, however you want to frame it. But word on the street is that they're going to fire um, Larkham and the forwards coach, whose name escapes me right now. So, they're basically the four guys in this. Um, because they didn't have the balls to fire Chica, and so, yeah, there it is. Uh, I, I just, oh my god, it, just everything about this is an absolute cluster. Mm-hmm. You get the feeling that the entire rug, Australian rugby stakeholder group just doesn't get it. Nope. You know, everything's influenced from league there, right? And it, you know, everything in league is all driven by accountability, and 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 coaches get fired all the time, and there's the need for automatic accountability. And while that's admirable. It, it doesn't deal with the vagaries of union. Um, you know, Stephen Larkham, uh, we look at him objectively. He's a good coach. He's a smart guy. And effectively, they've pushed him too early in his coaching development. And now they've probably ruined it. And they'll lose him forever now. His, his best years will be 10, 15, 20 years down the line. And you can bet your ass 
he's not good when he's when he's really good. He's not going to want to come back and do this. No. Right? I th- I think they will do, and I think if if they wanted to have, if they were smart and if they were clued up, they should have seen this coming a year ago and fired Checker a year ago when they had options. Mm-hmm. They have no options now. Nope. You know, and then you could also state that like shit, man. How many times have these guys done this? That that they went from Rod McQueen, Eddie Jones. Eddie Jones was a prolific coach at the time. He was a visionary. He'd done a great thing. Eventually, he shat the bed because that's what Eddie does. And so, with player power, they pushed him out. Then Knuckles came in as a caretaker coach. Didn't really do much, didn't really move the needle, and then they got rid of him. And then they had Robbie Deans come in, probably one of the best coaches of the last 30 years. And eventually, they convinced themselves that it was Robbie's fault. Robbie wasn't good enough. He was terrible. He got them to a World Cup semi-final, got the number two spot, but he still wasn't good enough. It's the coach's fault. They got rid of him. Players hated him as well. Same happened with Ewan McKenzie. Great coach, great club, and super rugby experience. He had, had sort of initial kind of moved the needle, but again, they convinced himself that it was the coach's fault, and not the players. And now Checker, another one, similar to similar to to you and uh, to you and. Um, McKenzie, right? Fantastic record. And now they're convincing themselves again that it's the coach's fault. It's not. It's the it's the system. It's their entire system. And they keep trying to shuffle the, the chairs in the Titanic, and it won't work. It can't work. And to make matters worse, they've done it at the absolute worst time. They've made a scapegoat of their players because of their coaches, or their assistant coaches, because they can't get rid of Checker, right? Yeah. Nor should they. But even if they wanted to, who the fuck are you going to replace him with? It's 11 months to the World Cup. Any decent any decent coach is waiting. They're waiting until after the World Cup to make these kind of moves. So they're waiting until yeah. June when these when these contracts come up. So here's, just, uh, here's something that was uh, proposed. Now, I've often found that inside of... Uh, inside of rugby uh, writings, and you can see them in various different uh, rags, they, they, they put out the feelers for how people might feel about something. And then every once in a while, that thing takes flight. Now, the other day I read an interesting article that suggested that they should fire their coach and that the players should coach themselves through to the Rugby World Cup. That's not a thing. Which, apparently, could be a thing. And they have a very obscure but real uh, instance where um, their coach fell sick uh, back in, I think it was the 60s or 70s. Oh, Australia. Um, yeah, Chris, you might know the exact date. Uh, and then the, the players coached themselves in the uh, Tri-Nations for the last like one or two games and did well. Why in the 60s? I can't remember. Like it was some other date. Like it was, it was like decades ago. So, so in the 100% amateur days yeah. when everyone had a day job and just turned up at the, the club but they, after. But they were smart apparently. Smart <laughs> enough to coach themselves through like, it. That's ridiculous. And but they used that as a reference and I gotta say, you know what? If you really want to prove and they probably should at this point that it might be the fucking whingy players uh, that are the problem. This might be a way to do it. <laughs> I just the, the thought of the thought of Michael Hooper, <laughs> that, that seven-year-old home and away, like talented player as he, he isn't a captain's asshole, right? No. And the thought of him getting this team together and coaching them is ridiculous. I mean, shit, it's different. It's different when you're talking about Martin Johnson in the lead up to the to the 2003 World Cup, right? And yeah. by all accounts, that's the, the rumor and innuendo on that, that World Cup effort yeah. was that John O just kind of took over. Yep. Um, and Clive Woodward never did a lot of the back, the sort of background coaching, other detailed shit because he wasn't into you know detailed coaching. Mm-hmm. I get that's not Johnson. He's a smart guy, incredibly 
huge mana. Hooper has no mana. He, yeah. Like he's he's a, he's an articulate guy. He's a good player, but he's twenty what twenty eight twenty seven. Like it's it's obscene. They, yeah. You know they don't have a Richie McCaw who could potentially do that kind of shit. It's and um, uh, I just want to say congratulations to Richie and his wife Gemma for uh, giving uh, birth mm-hmm. to their beautiful daughter. It happened yeah. this week. Apparently, congratulations. Um, immaculate conception. Immaculate. Mm-hmm. And uh, nice. I'm just gonna nice brunch. Uh, 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 they know. Yeah, I mean, she, she's instant royalty, so that's. I just wanted to. What's her name? You know what? It's 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 unseemly to name uh, infants on the air, <laughs> so I'm not going to. But I'm just going to stick with the congratulations to Richie. Cheers, brother. Uh, well maneuvered. <laughs> no, my, my last word on the on the subject of, of this check of fiasco mm-hmm. uh, is on the if, if they put a director of rugby position in place i mean this is a typical northern hemisphere move yep. uh they hit club club rugby level where it makes sense we've got more than one team um and the role is a bit different um but at national level what that really means is we're appointing someone to cut your balls off checker yep so they have now set them up to fail it's fucking stupid every country that has a director of rugby a permanent one long term has underperformed and what i mean by that is that england have underperformed <laughs> and, and South Africa and Manchester United um, they are the director of football sure anyway. uh, let's move on to another coach and this week a big announcement oh, yeah. especially for, for the All Blacks although let's be honest uh, we, a lot of us would have seen this coming uh, yeah. Hansen has announced that after this next World Cup he is standing down from uh, being the head coach of the All Blacks uh, I'd like to personally thank him for the effort that he's put in well, and he's, for he's the, not done well, no, just up to this point, right? Like, okay. just, just for his, his current record. Uh, it's, it's been fantastic, and it's been a joy, not only just to, to watch him deliver, you know, four words in a press conference, uh, but also to enjoy the parodies that existed uh, on the NZ Herald and, uh, and beyond. Um, we, we enjoyed seeing that puppet. Was it on the Herald? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, you believe it. What's, what's your story? What, what's your thoughts there? This is a this is a non-story for me. Him coming out and, and confirming what we yeah. already knew. Of yeah, this is a non-story. But I, I thought it was just important just to note it. Be like, yeah, it, it happened. Sad. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I think I think we can start. I think this officially gives us um, the green light to start. Um, even though <clears throat> NZIU is maintaining these strict, uh, we're not going to look at this until they must until have said the, the word Cup. process yeah. about thirty yeah. times in that. Yeah, they clearly. <laughs> I mean, it's you've got you've got three three possibilities. Everything else is completely un, not even a thing. Number one, Players you've got themselves. the you've got the incumbent. You got you got Fozzie. Yeah. Number two, you got Schmidt. Even though he said he's he's um, he's doing a Chris Christie and he wants to spend time with his family, mm. that's probably a little bit of smoke and mirrors. But fine, whatever. And the third option is Scott Robinson, the dark horse. Nah, you've got other options. Like what? There's a whole bunch of uh, other coaches. You've got to give me a name. You can't just say there's, I mean, there's lots of coaches. We know this. <coughs> there was an Graham article. Henry can do it too, but he's not going Graham to. Graham Henry could do it. Yeah. I don't think he should. Chris, you got any other options apart from those three? Uh, let's have a look. Well, I mean, the, the other one, the perpetual pride made is in this thing is always Vern Cotter, right? Uh, yeah. I'm not sure. I don't even know what he's doing at the moment. Um, but he is the most experienced Kiwi coach in the world outside of Steve Hansen. Um, the issue with Vern is that he's been coaching club rugby for a long time. 
I think he had that stint with Scotland that led up to the 2015 World Cup, which showed he could do it in, at an international level. I think he, he might be a good bet, but he, man, he's been away yeah, I think a he, very, very long time. I mean, so Schmidt's Schmidt, been a long time. No, not this. Dave Rennick. He look. He handled. He handled. <laughs> he handled the, uh, the the strippers thing poorly, and I think that's not going to reflect well in a in a, uh, in no, a no, no, all blacks environment. Uh, a, I don't think that will even. But so yeah, definitely consider Dave Rennie again contractually if his situation allows him to. He may not deem himself ready yet, and he, he may be right. And if you didn't deem him ready, you could probably say the same thing for Scott Robertson, right? This is a guy who's never lost anything in his like from a coaching perspective. He won every MPC title that he, that he contested as a coach, like the two or three that he contested. Then he came straight to Super Rugby, won two seasons straight away. So the thing that scares me about Scott Robinson is that he doesn't know, he's never had a tough spell in his coaching career. He doesn't yes. know how to bounce back from it. How I, about I think, Jamie Joseph, Tony oh, Brown? Don't give me that shit. That is an absolutely no. That is shit. And Tony Brown could take his stupid hat and he can just go wear it somewhere else because he's not anywhere there are other options. I know there are other options, but like realistically, there's three options. And but but let the Highlanders they're made in title. I don't care. Scott Robinson's yeah, done it three times. He almost ruined them as well. So like Jamie Joseph is one of those ones where it's like yeah he he made good, but he made a lot of shit too. Yeah, you know. And I, and Chris, that's a very good point about Scott Robinson. I mean. You know, Fozzie and and Schmidt have both had very testing times as coaches, um, and they've both come out of it on the up. Um, and you could argue that both of them are in the, the the peak of their powers right now and are perfectly poised to take this role. But and Scott Robinson's still on the up, I think. So it's pretty clear on two things. I, I think you know if your point, Scott Robinson, that is right. I think if we pushed him now, it's just way too early then we're going to have a Stephen Larkham on our hands, right? Um, yeah. I, I think the point about Fozzie being at the peak of his powers, we have no idea about whether Fozzie's at the peak of his powers. The fact remains is that he never did anything as a, as a head coach, super rugby. He immediately left the Chiefs. Rennie came in with Wayne Smith. They won two titles back-to-back. You know, uh, They took them from aggressively mid-card talent to someone that was you know, to win a title as soon as he left. And then outside of that, like what, what has he done? Like, what has this guy done? We really have no idea of his worth. I think we've put ourselves in a shit sandwich where it's basically him. It has to be him. I think the Schmidt thing is probably not smoke and mirrors. He's been talking about his his family and his, his son's situation for a very, very long time. The pundits and the journalists just tend to ignore it. Um, I think that is probably very real. Um, and I think it's, it's probably 80% likelihood we're stuck with Fozzie at this point who, as far as I'm concerned, is not the world's best coach. And the All Blacks head coach should be the world's best coach. Okay. So the only other person, theoretically, is Warren Catland, which... No. Shit. Come on. I mean, he's over, though, and he's done at that point. Like, mm-hmm. how much more can this guy give? He's been coaching international rugby since the late 90s. He's been a you know, he, he won't be a bit of anymore. That's the dumb. He's done Wales for 12 years now, has he? Is that, is that how long? Yeah. yeah, and then Wasps before that, and then Ireland before that. Yeah, you know, started coaching at the top level on like ninety, like soon. It's almost as soon as he finished playing, like ninety four, ninety five. 
Well, uh, we'll we'll keep talking about this. Uh, this is ongoing, obviously, because mm-hmm. since, um, the All Blacks aren't going to start the process until after the Rugby World Cup. At least that's what they kept saying in the uh, in in the this press is, briefing. This is they? longer than a prime than primary season. It's longer than primary. <laughs> um, however, we're going to go real hyper local in our next segment, oh, and no. this is something that I'm very interested to hear Chris uh, talk about on the ground. Uh, listeners, if you've not been reading um, and keeping up with with local New Zealand news. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna dive right in here. Now, um, this isn't something that happens in lots of other countries. It does happen, um, I think, in one other country, maybe the UK. But essentially, New Zealand have what we refer to as the f- first fifteens, um, which is quite actually, televised has been for years now, where the top um, high schools in New Zealand compete in a, uh, in a in a competition to see who's the best. And it's uh, it's kind of a breeding ground for the best in class. Uh, rugby players who then go on to often get, um, you know, uh, club or um, straight into premiership for for some um, super fifteen contracts for some, um, but it's essentially just where you you get all that talent and it's very competitive. Um, it's it's incredibly um, you know sought after as a player to get into that kind of system. Now, that being as it may, as you can imagine, some of the private schools in New Zealand tend to do quite well. Uh, they have resources um, outside of of what you would get from a state-funded school, and there was one particular school, St. Kentigans. I actually grew up near it. Fun fact, um, and they apparently, uh, in the eyes of several other schools, broke the uh, the poaching rules and took five players um, and recruited them into their um, into their team to start this year uh, that had not been there the previous year to start in their first fifteen. And I think it was seven schools wrote a letter saying that they would not play St. Kent's in the competition due to their feeling that they broke the ethical standards and essentially means that St. Kent's, I guess, just can't play in the tournament. Although, would that also mean that St. Kent's just get a win because the other team doesn't turn up? I'm very interested to hear what the scuttlebutt is in New Zealand, Chris. Uh, so, so the scuttlebutt is, is uh, fuck St. Kent's. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Disclaimer. <laughs> can, we, can, we, can we clarify just quickly on um, the seven schools that wrote the letter? Were they all public government-funded public schools? Uh, I, I, I assume so. I think the only private schools in Auckland 1A are St. Kent's and Kings, right? And just, just, a, just a quick word for our general viewers, particularly from overseas when it comes to Auckland 1A. Um, you may not know this, but without Auckland 1A, uh, half the players in your international teams wouldn't be there. Um, you know, it, this is the we're talking about the, the, the poaching with within the broader poaching uh, argument, right? So this is this is the the high school competition that feeds uh, New Zealand rugby, feeds increasingly uh, Australian rugby, New Zealand Australian League, uh, UK League. Uh, there are players now pop you know popping up right into top fourteen clubs, um, you know English top level clubs, even Celtic, Celtic etc. There have been players that have been poached from, you know, for Aussie rules, uh, NFL on occasion, uh, college football, etc. This is this is one of the most fertile uh, bread baskets for any round or oval ball code on the planet. Uh, so the stakes are high. Um, so yeah, so just a little quick note on on one A. I mean, the, the the scuttlebutt the scuttlebutt down here is. Uh, good. Thank God that someone this has finally happened. Um, mm-hmm. Naturally, those 
the St. Cairns have a very different take, saying that the, the country needs their almost, um, it's not even semi-professional, it's probably, in terms of setup, fully professional regime um, to give really talented players like, uh, you know, uh, recent All Black debutants, uh, Dalton Papa Ali'i, and uh, who would have been an All Black debutant this November, Blake Gibson, um, that sort of quick segue into sort of super rugby level, right? So they have an easier time of it. That's certainly one argument. Um, the argument is that, uh, you know, it would be if we empowered schools like Napier Boys High, Hamilton Boys High, the other Auckland 1A schools, et cetera, um, to do that uh, themselves on an individual basis uh, with, you know, two or three stars rather than the 10 to 12 that St. Kent's would have. And, and to be clear here, fellas, the, you know, the, the within 1A, the poaching rules have been good for a long time. The, the thing that St. Kent's has done here is they have gone and cherry-picked from Super 8 schools. So again, Super 8 is probably the number two rugby uh, rugby competition in, in New Zealand high schools, and that's played between uh, schools that live in rural the, uh, rural North Island, including Hamilton. So that's your Hamilton Boys High, your Napier Boys High, so on and so forth, uh, New Plymouth Boys High, whatever. Uh, they've gone about and they've, they've pilched, they've sort of pinched and poached from those teams and basically decimated them. Uh, and that's sort of what has precipitated this latest outcry. And the reason why this is, again, another factor to this is that this is by far the biggest wave. The last five or ten years of St. Kent's, they have taken poaching to a new level. So, interestingly enough, you talk about Kings. Kings has the money to do that, but for whatever reason, they've always resi- resisted the temptation to do what St. Kent's has done in the last decade, where they have really just frankly been ridiculous with how brazen they have been. I just, want to, I just want to clarify, they haven't broken a rule, have they? No, I, I don't think so. It's, it's kind of hard to legislate this kind of stuff, right? Because the argument is always, well, they're giving players a better education. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if that's true, sure, that's a fair argument. But when we're talking about eighth formers, you know, year 14s, guys who turn up to do seventh form again, uh, I mean... Hey, you remember these guys at school, right? But there were plenty of players who were brought in to do that repeat year, right? And yeah. geez, how much of an education did those guys get? What I remember was fuck all. Yeah, I mean, Brady didn't do a lot of uh, a lot of subjects. <laughs> but can we just just going back to the the schools? The int- interestingly, the schools that did write a letter turned out to be ten of them, uh, all public schools apart from Dilworth. Um. St. Peter's and Sacred Heart. So, right. so I do just want to pause and just say most people I've known from Dilworth um, a bag of dicks. I mean, it's an orphan school, correct? No, yeah, that's correct. Uh, and by all means, they should be, uh, you know, I should think the entire model is, is worthwhile, and I do, but that doesn't color the fact that every single person I've met Dilworth are dicks. I don't think I've ever met anyone from Dilworth. Yeah. Uh, for anyone listening from Dilworth, um, please write a comment and uh, let me know how you feel. Real Auckland shit. That's a niche. That's niche. One minute, Dilworth College the next minute, and Mr. Masari. Yeah, let's uh, let's pivot away from this because our audience is going to be incredibly small for anyone who gives a flying fuck about uh, New Zealand. We, we, we may get we may get one person who's very interested in the subject, uh, and is probably sitting there foaming at the mouth right now. Uh, Andy S. <laughs> I, I, I when I read the article and I, I kept reading it, and I think like where where is this like one thing where they did horribly wrong that could produce this ire? 
Um, and the, the, there was nothing. They, they were inside the rules. So I'm not sure what the outcome of it is other than St. Saint, Kent's Saint win those matches that people don't turn up for. No, they'll be ejected, man. That, that's the point. It, it's reached a critical mass. Um, the I think the, the local competition agrees with the schools, I think. Um, St. Kent's are saying NZIU has their back. I don't think that's the case. I think it's their, their, uh, their principal shirt fronting. Uh, but the reason why this is interesting to a global audience is because, you know, this is, you know, we talk about, you know, the foreign audiences will, will know, all, you know, uh, New Zealand as poachers, which of course is bullshit. Uh, but we do take a lot of kids um, from the Pacific yeah. Islands as a result, and that's done at this level, that's mm-hmm. done at the school level. And this team in particular, St. Kent's, they are the poachers' poacher. They have they have industrialized it, and it looks like it's coming to an end which may have domino effect for the shifting of talent in, uh, within New Zealand and then within New Zealand and the Pacific Islands in general at that age group, which could be the beginning of global discussions around how this works. So I think it's it's a small micro thing, but it plays out on, on a much much larger scale. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this, this all comes around because this is Auckland Blazer Brigade at its best. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might spell the end of it, right? Mm. Uh, next, we're going to move on to Spark Sport. Mm. Hayden, take us away. Broadcasting. Everyone's favorite topic. Um, so, I mean, so we have, a, we have different perspectives on this because, you know, Dean and I living in um, the United States of America, we have one option and one option only for watching rugby, and that's ESPN. Um, and I pay them $5 a month for access to some games yeah lackluster service would be a a generous title so obviously america not a big priority for rugby but if we switch our focus to new zealand where traditionally sky has had the the dominant um position of of showing uh rugby games in new zealand um but for the upcoming world cup in 2019 we have spark sport spark aka telecom aka what was their previous name? I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. All the various incarnations of um, one of New Zealand's largest telco companies have now launched a um, a sporting app uh, to show the all of the Rugby World Cup um, games. Um, they are also they also have the rights to the Premier League next season, um, and they also have the rights to Formula One. So oh, really? I, they haven't released, there's very few details actually out there about what's going to happen with this, but the theory is that um, you will be charged $100 for access to the World Cup, every single World Cup game on demand, um, which, I mean, I can already hear Glenn just frothing, just absolutely frothing at having mm. to pay for the Rugby World Cup. Even so, TVNZ still has the rights to the opening game and I believe the final, um, and a few other games sprinkled throughout the tournament. But um, this is a, a, a large shift in the way that New Zealanders consume rugby. So, um, and I, for one, welcome it. I think it's um, it's the way forward, and and I really, really hope that Spark do the necessary work to ensure that the app is stable. The app is. Um, delivers a positive experience because you do not want a situation where you've got uh, feeds being down, buffering, bad quality streams because you will never, ever, ever hear the end of it. Um, And this is the opportunity for New Zealand to move into um, 
a, a good territory. Like, yeah. Prediction. Sorry. Prediction. That all of that will happen. God damn it. <laughs> Chris, what are your thoughts and feelings? And what's the thoughts and feelings? On the ground. On the ground. I'll open that with a question. Did, just to get the price on, did you pay $100 a game? No, $100 for the tournament. All the games. Oh, that that's... I mean, good Lord, man. That's that's great value. Yeah, so but, you break that down, right? Of course. Basically, I, people might watch four... Let's say the average person watches four games a weekend, times seven, round it up. Uh, well, so the later games, obviously, there's, there's less there's games per week. But let's say all up, someone might watch 25 games. So if you're paying 4 or $5 a game, is that USD or NZD? I mean, New Zealand dollars, yeah. Oh, right. So, I mean, Christ, we're talking 4 or 5 New Zealand dollars. When, when 10 to 5, 6 years ago, it was charging $20 USD for a November All Blacks test per pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, think, think pay-per-view. You, you can watch, uh, you know, uh, watch them call it... Um, you know, boxing match for boxing bucks. card for like some bucks. I mean, this is excellent value. I, I think if, if Glenn's going to froth at the mouth, then Glenn needs to get in the fucking seat because that's not bad at all. I mean, we all but know we we all know where Glenn has to go. Okay, but but oh. Glenn doesn't think in rational terms like this, does he? No, he, he's still talking about the dollar toll road at, 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 <laughs> at um, you know. But Dean, to your point, I, I would agree. I think this is all that all those things are going to happen to various levels. How much of an impact it actually has versus the perception from Glenn will be interesting. Um, but if it does happen en masse, it's going to put streaming and sort of, uh, you know, 22nd century um, views on watching sport in this country. It's going to put it back 10 years. Mm-hmm. No. Uh- no, I mean, like a couple of, I mean, you guys wouldn't give a shit, but uh, I think it was about three or four years ago, um, the rights for the Premier League in New Zealand was sold to a, a company, a streaming company that that solely did this on an app, um, and they, they shared the bed, basically. So that was really unfortunate because they were the first people to do sports streaming in New Zealand um, to a very dedicated group of because people who watch premier league in new zealand are very dedicated they have to get up at 3 a.m to watch chelsea versus watford Mm. on a on a on a rainy uh saturday morning you know like what's the um now i remember when uh like and this is going back eight years or so ago now they were still talking about delivering you know uh wi-fi and not dial-up to all of new zealand all of New Zealand. Chris, has that happened yet? No? <laughs> I'm just thinking if we're doing a streaming service, some guy in in the far north, who's always been able to watch it on his TV usually, now can't because it's on a streaming device and he also doesn't have option to get the internet. <laughs> you, you think this guy in the far north has paying money for Sky to watch the All Blacks on their TV? <laughs> <laughs> with, with all respect to the far north. Uh, Listen, if John outside of Dargaville wants to watch it and he can't, Look, he's going to get upset. Can we stop placating to outliers. If Dargaville like, a very the, strong voice in this. Like, go, go to the pub. I think, I think the, the Hokianga Harbour uh, the rugby watchers will be fucking leave the Hokianga Harbour. You know, you need to move, you know. Yeah. Um, would be the general sentiment. But in all seriousness, I think there is. Part of the contract was the fact that I think uh, part of the bid process was that they had to be a method for dealing with this for people in remote areas. Mm. Uh, I'm not sh- I'm not heard what that solution is, mm. uh, 
but I'm assuming Spark must have something up their sleeve other than their arm. Hashtag Steve Hansen, stupid jokes. I mean, I'm, um, I'm hoping for some uh, Wi-Fi balloons. Mm. <laughs> Zeppelins over New Zealand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You've heard it here first. Yep. But anyway, very, very interesting stuff. And um, I, like we've discussed on the podcast before around um, the nervousness around Japan's ability to host a World Cup properly. Um, and I think we've all, we're all nervous about the... Uh, well, it's Spark Sport. I'm a nervous Nelly. Um, yeah, 11 months out. Uh, I think lastly, and this is, is ending on a happy note, we're going to talk about the awards. Mm. Happened last night. Um, no, it happened. Well, we, we'll yeah. we've got a couple of awards to talk about, don't we? We've got the World Rugby Awards. Oh, Christ, yeah. Um, and then we have to talk about the New Zealand Rugby Awards. So let's start with the World... Let's start with the... Let's pull the band-aid off. Right. World Rugby Awards <laughs> happened, and for the first time in a very long time, New Zealand wasn't just, like, the ones getting all the candy. Uh, <laughs> you know, they, they, they gave some lollipops to some others. Um, Joe Schmidt, um, you know, he, he got the Rugby Coach of the Year. Deservedly. Deservedly. However, it did all hinge on him beating the All Blacks. If he hadn't beaten the All Blacks, sure. he wouldn't have got it. They won the Six Nations. They beat us. They that's it. Know, like, but what, that's it. What right? else do you want them to do? They beat. They, they, won, they beat, won in Australia for the first time. And what, did they play Australia or South Africa? But yeah, but then no, it was Australia. But the flip side is they also lost in Australia. Mm. And if we'd lost in Australia this year, it would have been a holy shit moment. Anyway, <sighs> so yeah, deservedly. However, it did just all hinge on beating the All Blacks. At home, like okay. that's it. Because yeah, okay. Six Nations, come on, go anyway. So that was fine. Um, and then you know, some twat from Ireland won the best player, and I don't agree with that either. But it's fine. Um, no, and I, then had to be what's his name? Yeah, the stupid head. And didn't he? Didn't with he? Uh, he got his contract extended for another two years as well. Yeah, that's, that's what it is. Whatever. Um, and then some other some other things happened on that. I don't know what other awards were handed out. Oh, we got try. All Blacks got try of the year. Oh for yeah, that. the glorious. That was. I mean, let's 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 just take some some uh, time to to appreciate the glorious of that of that try, with Brody Retallick. Arms up in the air. We. I mean, All Blacks. All Blacks don't. All Black front uh, front row, or at least forwards don't really celebrate tries too often, but that was worthy worthy of a celebration. That mm. started from deep an hour and a half. And um, showcase the full skills. So I'm glad. I'm glad we won something because we didn't win anything else, did we? So I, I've got I've got three three points there, man. One one is who gives a fuck about try of the year. Secondly, it was a great try. I don't think it was the best try. There were like seven phases in that try, so it wasn't like a sweeping end bend move in one or two phases. Third thing is I love Guzzler. We're not calling him Lurch. That's just the, his, his nickname I, is fucking Guzzler. Okay? I want to call him Lurch. I love Guzzler, but you do not, you absolutely do not celebrate before you have dotted the ball down. <laughs> that is Black 101, and Colin Meads is twisting in his goddamn grave, having, mm. you know, shit happen on the same planet Earth that he's lying in. Um, that would have, uh, there would have been many a, a, an all-black old-timer who loves Brody Ritalik, and they would have been like, what the, what the fuck is this idiot? At least he didn't swan dive. At least he didn't. You're right, 110. Because because I don't want to know what would happen if if Retallick swan dived. I think oh it'd like carve out a big hole in the ground. It would look bad. Himself <laughs> badly. And oddly enough, when uh, when Chris Ashton does it, it looks gross. When Joe Rockathoko used to do it with the his Burt Reynolds naked pose in the air, oh it was 110 sexy. 
Yeah, that wasn't great. Um, so I'm just bringing up a picture of Lurch for uh, Chris. You can't see this, but um, Dean, what are your thoughts on the? Uh, there's a photo in on, on stuff.co.nz with um, it's it's a so this this article is generally talking about the fact that the All Blacks may take only three locks to the World Cup, mm. um, and there's a picture of Retallick and uh, Whitelock standing back to back. Uh, and possibly the least good-looking photo of All Blacks of all time. Yeah. Um, I don't know what's worse, Whitelock's face. He doesn't smile well. No, he. It, it's like someone's told him, hey, hey, Sam, you need to smile a little bit. I want to see some upper gum, is uh, essentially what the direction and, is. And yeah. uh, actually, Chris, let me, let me just uh, send you this article so we can talk about the same thing, because it, it's, it's quite amusing. Um. And then in that picture as well, uh, Retallick is, is sporting his, his Movember moustache, um, as, as several players did, and a lot, you know, several players got behind it, and it's, mm. it's a valiant uh, movement and something that we should be commending. However, um, I think it's, it's, it's fair to also rip the shit out of them for their shitty moustaches, uh, <laughs> because that's just part of it. It's just part of it. Um, so, so some moustaches were better than others. Uh, Brody, yeah, um, 70s pedo. Uh, that is some Gumby shit. They're the two best locks in the world, but that's Gumby shit. It's just look at look at Retallick's teeth. Oh my god, that's mm. a that's an English smile, isn't it? Yeah, orthodontry, orthodontry, or of. <laughs> is that what is it orthodontist you're drunk I am drinking the orthodontist in his town was bad very bad no, yeah. I wouldn't have paid him no really um, okay let's um, let's move swiftly to the better awards the New Zealand rugby awards right um, where New Zealand has uh, we've we're woke as shit um, <laughs> we've for the first time ever, awarded uh, World Pl- Rugby Player of the Year to a female. So in in New Zealand, though, we didn't award it to someone else outside of New Zealand. Oh, so did I say world? I meant New Zealand. In New Zealand, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fine. I mean, we're the best in the world. So <laughs> at, at, using the same logic America uses for the World Series, yes. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's just in, yeah, inside it, New Zealand. It um, I, I think we need to be honest with ourselves here. So we've seen New Zealand rugby recently be very woke, and that's to be applauded on a lot of subjects, on, on all subjects actually, that have been woke on. But if someone was to tell me that the, the cats at NZR down in Wellington didn't give a fuck about any of this shit, and it was all just cynical commercialism, I would, I would be, I, I'd have a hard time not agreeing with that. that. That is very plausible to me that this is all just cynical from them. I mean, is it bad that that was the second thought that popped into my mind? I mean, uh, uh, everything is going to be just pure, (laughs) unadulterated um, bullshit from rich white guys in power, regardless of what format they're in. I mean, let's be clear here. Steve Chu is by no stretch of the imagination rich. Uh, (laughs) White guy in power. Yeah, so I mean, like, let, let, let's not let's not take it away from. from I don't want to take it away she's, from Kendra. She's she's a very impressive lady. She's won two World Cups. 
She's she won, won a sevens that, title. Did she score that final try in that, to win that I don't know. World Cup final? I, I think it was one of the tries of the year that eventually went to what, this, um, year? this year. In the, well, in no, the same she awards. hasn't played for sevens for since like for ages. Oh, uh, it wasn't her then. She got she played seven, she won the sevens title ages ago, but she's won two World Cups with with the um, in the fifteens. So right. Yeah. So I mean, I think I think it came down to. You know, they, they they must have been under a, a certain amount of pressure to also consider the women's game like they should be every year um, and to consider it on its relative merits. I, I don't think the world... Rug, I don't sorry, I don't think New Zealand Rugby Player of the Year should be... You shouldn't take into account, oh, men's rugby is way hard, like on a bigger scale, blah, blah, blah. If, if a woman player is dominating rugby... In there as much as she can in that mm. sport, then you should re- weigh that against what Bowden Barrett does or what Brody Retallick does. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, 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 I would tend to agree, but but also remember that the Laurie S Sport Award is an example, which is your sort of global best of all yeah, sport. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the sports that find themselves routinely nominated for that stuff are not necessarily the ones that were ridiculously dominant in their code. But it's largely a sort of a multiplication on that dominance multiplied by the scope and scale of the sport. Yes, but that's different. That that award is very different to what we're talking about here with 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 New Zealand Rugby Player of the Year. In in what sense? Well, if you're talking about a, if you if you're going to open this up first of all globally and then second of all um, globally in a way that these play, the people in the in the what is it is it. I always want to say L'Oreal. Laureate? Laureus. Laureus. Spit it out. Anyway, the Laureus World Whatever of the Year Award, that is played, that is competed with players and sports people who don't play each other. Mm. So it's incredibly difficult to weigh that up, isn't it? Because in, 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 this, in the case of the New Zealand Rugby Player of the Year, I've got two things to weigh up. This versus this. I can do that quite right. easily. Whereas if I'm if I'm like I'm like mm, Roger Federer versus Tiger Woods versus Tom Brady versus um, uh, I don't know some other person who's good at sport. That's really hard to do. Like uh, I, I I hear you. So I I, I I think I get your point. But at the end of the day, um, Brady Retallick doesn't play Porsche Woodman, does he? So no, is... no, and also thank God, <laughs> uh, because he'd get embarrassed on the outside. Yeah. yeah, he would. Yeah, he would. There'd be a lot of inappropriate touching, and no one would want to tackle properly, and it would be nope. really weird. Yep. So let's not make this a thing. I'm pushing. I'm making picking Porsche to get outside of him on the outside shoulder. Actually, yeah. I don't think he gets. Yeah. Here's what he chases, and he tries to tackle, and he touches her on the butt, and that's weird. <laughs> Just, I'd like to know probably a harder cat than that. Uh, <laughs> Just a, a me-too debacle. It's a debacle. <laughs> at, the, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, guys, my point is this: is that you know, it's it's fantastic that a, a woman has has won this has won this award, and every now and then, you know, uh, or however however often it's appropriate, I'm sure they they will win it. But the question to me to for, for me to both you guys is. Have you watched this person play at all a full game? Nope. Have you watched them play more than one full game? Nope. Yeah, it's again, a, it's, so ha- it's a hard like how, how the fuck do we know, right? It, it's it, Again, i got to wonder how cynical this was, and at the end of the day, i got to wonder, scale obviously does come into it, 
in 50 years when the women's game is has just as much scale as the men's game, I think you would appropriately see this be in every second year, statistically, every second year thing. But until that happens, it probably wouldn't be or shouldn't be. Much in the same way that because rugby is nothing compared to um, on a global exposure level to football, basketball, motor racing, etc. And that's why the All Blacks have come close but no cigar to, at Laureus so many times because they don't have the scale, right? And therefore, that, you know, that's ultimately one of the big things that drives comparability. And right now, the women's game doesn't have the scale. It should do, but it doesn't. Um, you know, and again, it's, this is all crystallized in the fact that we're, we're patting ourselves as a nation on the back, but how many people have actually watched that woman play? Well, uh, I mean, I hope that the people who gave the award did. Right. Because it'd be weird if they <laughs> But did. I mean, the, the, I guess the, the follow-on question is, does this set a precedent? So when you say statistically every second year we should be seeing a male, female, male, female, mm. does this mean now that we are entering the th- uh, situation where we have to start counting from now? Uh, no, because it, we, it fails the first test, which is we've got like 150,000 registered rugby players in this country and 75,000 of them are not female, right? So, yep. you know, and then that plays out statistically across the rest of the board. What I'm saying is in 50 years, when that may be the case, statistically, you might start seeing that. Mm. Uh, but it wouldn't, it, I don't think it means we're not woke if we don't see that in the interim, because frankly, that it just lacks the scale. Well, Again, I I'm not saying, I mean, they deserve the scale. They just don't have it right now. It no. is what it is. Well, I hope that the um, the Kendra winning this award uh, leads to an inspiring uh, yeah. situation for many young rugby players in New Zealand. That'd be nice. Um, do we have any more topics we need to cover today? We've got a lot of ground today. We've gone from uh, a, a small, a small, tiny little school in Pakaranga all the way up to... Um, <laughs> We're talking about St. Kent's. Johnny Sexton. <laughs> not talking about Pakaranga College. <laughs> We're not talking about Howard College, no. Thank you, listeners, for joining us for Speaking in Code, a rugby podcast. Thanks, Dean. Yes, folks. Cue the music. <laughs>